Hey everybody, welcome to the Master Movie Podcast. Uh, today we'll be talking about uh, Mission Impossible 1, but um, I gotta do a quick little intro because the audio of the first 13 minutes of this episode was destroyed by Skype. Um, and my internet connection. Yeah. So, essentially we just talked about like Lady Gaga possibly joining Guardians 3, and we talked a little bit about A Star is Born, but more importantly, this is a episode dedicated in memory of our friend Jesse, who died in his sleep um, about four days before four days uh, before we recorded this. Um, Jesse was a good friend of ours. We, he worked with us at, at the movie theater we all worked at <clears throat> at one point. Um... He was a, uh, he was just a really genuinely sweet guy. I remember just, like, one time we were just having a slow day at work, and we were just talking, and, yeah, we were just talking about life and ideas that we had, and, yeah, it was sad that he's gone, and, uh, we miss him dearly, so, Jesse, this one's for you, so, there you go, everybody. Enjoy Mission Impossible. Okay, we're back. <laughs> back to the Stone Age. So I'm recording this off the phone speaker simultaneously with my own voice. This sucks. Oh my god. So sorry. Uh, I mean, I sound alone. Jesse would be laughing right now. Um. Uh, okay. Yeah. So before we go into the movie. Spider-Man comes out on Tuesday. Yes. Um, a lot of the reviews are positive. Mm. Uh, yeah, a lot of them. Sorry, what? A lot of them, yeah. Yeah, a lot of them. Uh, the few that were negative seemed to point to it being more bland or something like that. Or just less, or not as energetic as some of the other Marvel movies. Which, I guess... Um, good outweighs the bad, it seems like. I mean, it, it, the thing about criticism is just, that I've always posited, is, like, the point of a critic is that you have, a, it's important to have a friend who knows carpentry. If you're going to try and build something, you go to that friend, or if you know someone who knows about cars, like, that's the point of criticism. They they can get you through the tall grass and the weed. That, that's the point. So if you're looking for film criticism, find somebody you trust and stick with them. And the, the people that I trust, their concerns seem to be a little bit more focused on what the other concerns are, which is that this isn't the Peter Parker of old. This is, he may be young, sure, and he may quit, and he may be like as, uh, I guess, morally compassed as your standard Spider-Man, but he gets a suit, and he gets to like, he doesn't have an Uncle Ben, his Aunt May's hot, like, there's a lot of problems that they have of him not being what he used to be. If you take away some of those elements, it's Peter Parker. It'd be one thing if you had Miles Morales, who has other elements to him, but this is supposed to be Peter Parker to them, and he's not him. And I do think some of those arguments are valid, but also I would say, we know the kind of person he is, but we haven't seen the adventures he's going to necessarily be on, so it's really just one movie. And in the one movie, yeah, he doesn't really... 
change necessarily, but also the 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 adventure that he has is mostly there's this guy trying to steal crap from Tony Stark, and Spider Man's going to stop him. Like really, if if Iron Man just spent maybe a day on this, he'd solve it, figure it out, stop the guy, and throw him in jail. Like Spider Man's just doing it because he wants to do it. So I'm interested to see an adventure where like he. He actually is really trying to stop a criminal, or really trying to stop something bad from happening. Like I wanted to have them up the ante a little bit and up the stakes, and that I want those stakes to affect him. So if they're saying that it, that doesn't happen, that it's a big story where a lot of things happen, the action is cool, but the stakes aren't really anything because they don't really affect him. That worries me because that's what Thor: The Dark World is. Thor: The Dark World, if you watch it, has great things about it, but like, really, there's, there was no effect to it until he gets to see his mom later in Endgame. But even then, that was never their goal, and the payoff isn't that great. It, it, it's nice, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That's, that's my biggest concern of it. But I think I'll have a good time, sure. I think it'll be a fun movie. But what does it mean in the broader scheme of things? And maybe that's my problem because we never used to think about that with Marvel movies, and now we do. So maybe that's a problem with me. And eat a salad. <laughs> That'll never get old for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, oh, Spider-Man's. Go- I'm going to see it Tuesday night. Um. After work. So. I will... Yeah, Zach's spoilers spoiled a lot of the fun things for me. Oh, um, man. Why did which you do I that? Didn't but at the same time, uh, there are also things that I don't mind, because he didn't really hint at anything in the story, necessarily. I mean, a little bit. Uh, but it's still a movie that if I went into and watched beginning to the end, it wouldn't be spoiled. But there are some fun things I, I kind of can't wait to hear you talk about. So yeah, I'm going to see it on Tuesday, and I will give my uh, my report and analysis as I expertly do on this uh, here program. Um, so, Mission Impossible One. <laughs> um, this. Yeah. So I wanna. What was my? We'll bring up this question for you. Um. I get, yeah, I guess how you have only seen this once, you said? So, as I was watching it, I realized I actually have seen this before. Okay. Like, beginning to end, I have seen this before, but it was such a long time ago. I'm talking, like, oh, man. Like, it was years ago. Would you say that you watched it before or after the third one? Before the third one. Before. So, so it was before 2006 that you'd seen it. Yeah. Just on TV randomly, I guess. That's a long time. Yeah. It's a long time. Yeah. It's, uh, I... This was one of the first movies I ever watched when I was in a theater when I was a kid, along with, like, Forrest Gump. Just, like, 1996 was my year. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the movies all the time. Um... I think I left right when Jurassic Park Lost World was hitting theaters. That was, that was the mo- the last movie I saw 
maybe Hercules, but like that was the last movie I saw before I came here to Minnesota. But this was one of the big ones for me. I watched this as a kid, and I was just like, this movie was awesome. And it was all about that Langley scene. But yeah, yeah, this is a movie that if you that if you watch it at a young age, it's great. It's forgettable because there's all this like bureaucratic stuff in it, but it's also just fun. So I'm looking at the yeah. So 1996. So as I was watching it, I'm like, I had the thought of like, this was kind of ahead of its time, but at the same time, I'm thinking back to the to the uh, movies like Three and Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation and Fall. I'm like, no, wait a minute. All these other ones are kind of like throwbacks to this, because this is like a solid '90s action movie. Yeah, two's a real sidestep. <laughs> two's a sidestep, and we're gonna get to that next time. Oh my god! I think a big reason why three is as solid as it is, and why they did it, is because they really looked at J.J. Abrams, and they were like, Tom Cruise was like, dude, like I went. I went, uh, I took a left turn somewhere, and I got lost. Could you help me find my way back home? <laughs> like, that's kind of why 3 is a lot of, it's a safety net. They pick the safe guy to fix it. Like, a big thing that what people don't know is, or at least understand as well as they should anymore, is that this was based off a TV show that standardized what TV shows would be in the 70s. It, it was a show about a guy, um, Peter Graves, I think it was, but he was the, he was um, John Boyd's character in this movie. So people were watching the TV show, this lead character, solve all of these like missions with a team every week, and it was a standard structure. It was half spy, half kind of like Ocean's Eleven, but it was very they were serious about what they did, but the mission was always playful. And it was about a team more than it was just about him. But it really bothered people that they took that character and they brought him in this movie and then they made him the bad guy. So, I gotta be honest, oh, this movie has, like, for fans of the show and into the series up until 3, really had a problem with this movie, just kind of from the script, from the very start. So, I find it interesting watching it now understanding Fallout, understanding all the other ones so well. The first 40 minutes of this movie, right before he goes to meet Max, and it's like all about the mole hunts and the aftermath, it's very much what 3 and 4 are. And like Rogue Nation, like a team gets together and solves a mission, it just goes wrong instead. And if they if they it had made John Boyd just another leader and not the guy who was from the show and made it technically canon to the show, then this this whole series would have gone completely differently from what it was because it originated as the first Tom Cruise-produced product ever, really. Like, him and his partner have been producing stuff ever since then, and every movie he does is under his own guideline unless it's like a Paul Thomas Anderson Magnolia situation where he knows that he's stepping in the arms of like a Stanley Kubrick type artist or if he was to do to ter a Tarantino movie he knows he's in the arms of like somebody else's vision he has to do it if he's going to do that which is why he doesn't do that stuff anymore 
he is the person who makes his own movies now. And that's why uh, McGuire or McGuire is the one overseeing him now because he trusts him. He's worked with him before and all these other projects he's done. He's his man now. But this movie was the start. He was like, I'm going to do an action series. I'm going to do it based off a show I liked. And I'm going to get a classic filmmaker to do it. And I'm going to do it right out the gate. And it didn't, fans didn't like it because he made the main star of the show the bad guy. Outside of that, it's a great movie. Yeah, I was wondering why it had a 63% approval rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Um... I think there are other problems with it. I think it gets a little muddied and confusing when you consider that the plot of this movie has been taken so many times ever since then oh, yeah. that it's oh yeah it's just, they overcomplicated such a simple plot that every other movie was like wow this movie is terribly complicated you just took a list of all of our spies names and we need to get it back that's like five other famous movies now so I I find it incredibly funny that people get lost and confused in this movie when that's the whole point right you're supposed <clears throat> to know you're supposed to know from like 40 minutes in when you realize it's a mole hunt. You're supposed to know that John Voight is the bad guy. You're supposed to be confused like Tom Cruise, and you're supposed to put the pieces together from the train. But when the train starts, you are now the one with the upper hand. You you don't know what Tom Cruise knows. He's the His character is now a step ahead of the audience. And then all hell breaks loose when he has to get on top of a train, <laughs> <laughs> which he did not expect. And none of us expect it, and that's a great right. ending to the movie. Like, the thing I, um... The thing I noticed about this movie, too, is that, um... It spawned... A... Like, a... Like, for the most part, with the exception of two, a really solid, consistent franchise that everybody comes back to whenever it comes out. Proof of that being Fallout and those box office numbers. Um, but the thing is, like... I, I think we're going to be... I think you're going to be interested as we go into each movie to kind of see... I, I want you to pay attention to two things, because you're right. Most... Well, I would, I would think the great thing about this movie is that the things that make it connective, the connective tissue, is very thin. It's mainly a, a handful of actors. It doesn't really start to come together till the last couple movies. That isn't until like people who grew up with them are like, "Hey, you have these crazy things. Why don't you just put them together and make something?" It it really doesn't know what it is until Rogue Nation. Rogue Nation is the time. That's the first movie where it was like, you know what? We're a franchise. We're going to start acting like one. But before then, it was just like we're making solid Tom Cruise movies. And each one is just solid. Like, J.J. Abrams did step in with it. And Ghost Protocol is an amazing movie, but then they lose half their cast. And then the next movie, like, they just keep dropping people, and they're like, that's what the show did. And it's like, yeah, over seasons, we're going through two-hour intervals here. It's not working that way. So the two things I want you to focus on is, A, what are the movies that Tom Cruise has made in between him to make him think he has the ego to make two, which makes him think he should go back to ground level? When does the jumping on the couch incident happen? When is he divorced from Katie Holmes? When does Edge of Tomorrow happen? Like, this series spans almost his entire action star 
career, also his entire action star career. And the other thing is, what is it about Ethan? So, like, the things that I find real interesting about this movie is that his parents, or he's, his parents have a farm. This is the only time we're ever going to hear about his parents. So, like, he's from a certain state with a farm. Like, I, these are the things I want to focus on with this movie. Because they start to come back later at the end, but they're the only things that you're really going to have. So, like, people don't talk about for that much. It really is around five. It's like Fast and the Furious. This franchise doesn't really kick in, like, as a franchise until four or five. Until then, it's just kind of like good movies and great movies kind of just floating around with the name Mission Impossible on it, with Tom Cruise in every single one of them. And oh, yeah, there's Luther. <laughs> Luther and Tom Cruise are the only two actors that are consistent in every single one of these movies. <clears throat> yeah. Um... But then you see in Fallout, like, Max's daughter shows up in Fallout. And you're like, oh my god, he's. He's like Max's daughter is flirting with Tom Cruise five, six movies down the line. That's insane. You finally got around to doing that? That's crazy. So, like, here's the thing I noticed about this about this franchise, like, as I remember three and four and like they're like when I think about it and I think of the this movie, it's like each one of these has an aspect of, like, like classic, like, 90s stakes and, like, plot and all that. And, like, big set pieces that are mostly practical. Like, we're kind of practical, if not mostly. Um, and, like, and, it's, and it sticks out because it's that way. And, like, but, like, I think... Today it stands out because it's that way. Because of how big it is. And how, like... Yeah, a lot of money thrown at it. What stunt is he gonna do? Right. And it stands out against all the other, like, more practical... Like, more, like, um... What's the word I'm looking for? Um... The more realistic... If you want to put it that way. Like, more realistic action movies like Bourne... Or the first Taken, or John Wick. I don't like three, man. Three, like when I was thinking about it, I'm like, I'm I'm gonna watch it again with you. But like, when I think about three, I'm like, why is it not memorable? It's got a good story. It's the visual thing. Is it the shaky cam? And quite honestly, when you look at what the series is, when you look at the grand, especially two, like two is really ridiculous, but it also it's grandiose. Every single one of these is grandiose. This is like fancy James James Bond. This is yeah. like action fancy James Bond. Like they went to Prague. They spent millions of dollars lighting up Prague. It it's amazing. They spent money on it. They got Brian De Palma. Like this yeah. is a big deal. So I I the the funny thing to me about three is that JJ Abrams, as safe as he is as a writer, he he isn't a visualist yet. Yet. Star Trek is a really beautiful movie. But it like there's a lot of shaky cam in it that just sort of like realistically makes it a born movie more than anything else. And these movies don't need that. They need him jumping off buildings and almost drowning in the opera scene. The opera scene in Rogue Nation is beautiful. Um Yeah, let's talk about Brian De Palma for a second. I having seen a few movies from the ninety I need to see more, obviously, because I need to see more of everything, so I really his opinion really doesn't stand or at all because I haven't seen it. Um, well, the thing about when people say you gotta see everything is like, the, like 
they have eras. So like you, when you think about it, think about the window of your life. So when were you born? What kids' movies should you have seen as a kid? And from there on out, like you were never going to get to Brian De Palma because Brian De Palma wasn't making good movies in the 2000s. And he didn't, he stopped making good movies in the 90s. Like it's really interesting to me because this is the second to last good movie he's ever made. Like he made this, it brought him back. He needed a good audience again. And it, it made a ton of money, and people were like, wow, Brian De Palma, you are really good. And then he made another movie with Nicolas Cage called Snake Eyes, and I love that movie. Nick Cage is great. It's a good mystery. It's got long, elegant shots. Las Vegas looks great. And then he's, from there, it goes downhill for him. So in your lifetime, you have never really been around Brian De Palma, the good filmmaker. You would have had to have gone and looked in his past to find his stuff. Like, that stuff is important when people are like, do you know this guy? Well, should you know Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Like, he started in the late in the late 90s, sure, but he really didn't blossom until right when you were supposed to watch him. He is like the Spielberg of your generation, which is why everyone's freaking out for Stranger Things. That shows all about people who grew up around when Spielberg was making E.T. and Goonies and stuff like that. Like, they're craving that nostalgia stuff. Down the line, you're going to be craving stuff like this from your age. Like, I am. Like, I, I, nothing is going to be like this movie for me as a kid. Um, because they don't make that anymore. This is really sort of like, I now look at it and I'm like, it's about like the Dutch angles and it's the, the lighting of Prague. It's like, it's the beauty and the elegance around it. Then there's the train chase and you're like, oh my God, he's on a train and it looks so real and the wind is everywhere. Like there's a balance between how old movies were made and what movies would be. And we don't do that anymore. All movies are now the train. There's a train chase on top of in Captain Marvel, and they put that in the trailers of the movie like it's nothing. It's in the movie like it's nothing. They get on the train for two seconds, and then they pop back in, and it's like, oh, God, I miss the days where Tom Cruise had to cling on for dear life, where they cut the music just to make you understand the dire situation of what you're dealing with. That's gone, because that's when I grew up. Brian De Palma made his movies in, in the 70s, and he made two different types of movies. Weird Horror or Hitchcock. He is the best student of Hitchcock ever. Ever. He's, he, he basically just remade Hitchcock movies for the better part of his career. And they're all great. They're all great movies on their own right, but they're basically the exact... And he doesn't, doesn't like hide it at all. They're great. But he basically is Hitchcock. So for a good chunk of his career, he was learning from one of the best and never hiding it out in the open. He was making money on it. It was great. But he also made Carrie. And Carrie is a beautiful horror movie. He made Phantom of the Paradise, and that's only grown over the years. And then he made The Untouchables. Like, The Untouchables is a big deal, Chris. Have you ever seen that movie? The Untouchables... Wait a second. No, wait a minute. It was a big TV movie up until, like, 2000 and five and then it just sort of like faded away they were playing it too much was George Clooney in it nope see that's a little bit too late yeah see you missed that window yeah, too that, that makes window. sense but that that's when he hit big like the Untouchables was his big like Oscar thing it had like Sean Connery and Kevin Costner in it it was, it was a big deal he'd finally hit big with that sort of movie and it he floundered for a bit he made a really bad Tom Cruise movie and um it wasn't till this that he was like on the um like two decades into his career, 
he needed a hit. He needed to prove people that he could do it. And what I find really interesting is I think he's made something as good as like Baby Driver or Mad Max in terms of its genre. No action movies are as well-crafted as this. It is literally three... It's like three Ocean Elevens in a row. It's crazy. So we're going to do three heists, and they're all going to be impeccable. They're all going to look beautiful, and they're all going to be entertaining on their own right. You're going to see this, try and get this heist for this sort of disc from this guy, and the whole team is going to die. We're going to do the famous Langley heist, which is amazing on its own, and then we're going to do the shot that he recreates, and people like people made fun of him for that shot for years, and now people don't even talk about him doing like the wire trick on the floor anymore. It's just it's just gone because of how much crazy stuff he's done in the series. Man, like, I really like this movie. <laughs> I really like how well done this movie is. But this was the last, this was like the last gasp of a thriller maker. He's made some really great, scary, suspenseful movies. This is his last breath of any sort of talent towards there. He made a movie this year and people just crapped all over it. And to be honest, he's an old man and they're not giving him money anymore, but he wants to keep making stuff, and he's passionate about it, and he's trying to do his name to get him places, but it's just not working for him, and it's kind of sad. But to be honest, he hasn't made a good movie in tw- almost 20 years now. So it's sad. His best big budget movie was something called Mission to Mars for Disney. It had, like, Gary Sinise and Tom uh, Tim Robbins in it, and... I happen to kind of like that movie. Mission to Mars? All, yes. Mission to Mars is like, they threw all the money at him and said, you can do whatever you want. And Disney was like, we have this product called Mission to Mars. Do you want to make it? And they gave him all the money to do it. He, he got to do that because of this movie. Hold on. Yeah, like, get, get, Lieutenant Dan goes to visit aliens on Mars. Yeah. Wait a minute. Have I... Uh, that sounds familiar. The, uh, why? Hold on. There's a lot of Bars movies that came around came out around that time. Like John Carpenter made one too. But I think you would know. I to be honest, a lot of Christian fans geared towards that movie. I'm not sure necessarily why. Mission to Mars. It's a, Yeah, I'm not even necessarily sure why. I, I feel like I don't know. It's it's more universal than anything. It's sweet. There's no there's no real bad guy in the movie. It's literally about astronauts go to Mars and try to find something, and they just sort of things just sort of happen. You know, it's space stuff happens, and then one of them finds himself finding aliens. The aliens are like, "What's up, dude?" That's the movie. It's it's not. There's no horror to it. Like other space movies, feel they need to add. It's not like 2001 where there's a robot that goes insane. It's just space gets in their way. It's an adventure and one of them sort of finds the end game of it. It's a sweet Disney movie that happens to be beautiful and in space and they just... It, it didn't respond to people. I don't know. I kind of want to go back to it but that oh. was the last we got to make. Oh, okay. I thought it was a... No, okay. I thought it was a... I thought it was a uh, Disney Channel movie. I was wrong. Okay. There's no, another, another Mars-based... Uh, Disney Disney movie that I saw. I thought it was the same thing. Xenon? No. <laughs> uh, Isn't that one with uh, Hilary um, Duff so and yeah. No, that was a different girl. Oh. Different girl that didn't make it past that stage. I see. Okay. Um, 
But, like, what I was trying to say is, like, this movie looked a little more modern for a 90s movie, but it still felt 90s. Yes. I was kind of, like, expecting, like, for it to be ahead of its time. It kind of was. But it's still, it's the, the look and feel of the movie still felt 90s to me. And I could still see some of the movements and some of the, some of the, um, what's the word, juxtapositions. I can still see those in the Mission Impossible movies today. At least with McCor- at least with McQuarrie's too. I recognize that he, I re- kind of recognize some of the style in the, in the, in a Rogue Nation and Fallout. So I'm like... So that so it's kind of neat to see the origins of that. Uh, I, I I think I agree for sure. Um, the action seems to me ahead of its time. Every like it's he's the Langley thing is just editing to a T. It's yes. just per, it's basically Ocean's Eleven. It's perfect. It's Soderbergh to like a T, kind of entertaining. But the action in and of itself, I think, is ahead of its time. Uh, but you're right. Everything in between um, looks very 90s. Just the way... I, I don't know. There's just a vibe about it for sure. But yeah. The, the Dutch like, angle no, is what I think it is. I think it's the, the the use of Dutch angles in the slower moments. I would say this closer resembles... For, there's a love of old movies here, for sure. The fog and the streets and all that. That's for me. That's like TCM for me. Like, it... There's a beauty to this movie that I absolutely love. But I would say there's a lot of how this movie treats its grounded world that reminded me of Heat in terms of other movies around the same time. I know you haven't seen Heat, but I want you to really think about movies like Speed. Speed came out maybe a couple years before this movie. That's how people were looking at action films. They were like, oh man, like explosions and cars and like sunny streets and like th- that speed is a prime example of how people were thinking action was supposed to go and heat was a prime example of how you were supposed to make a thriller just beautiful looking and everything but maybe there's some action sprinkled around this is a blend of both like well, i'm going to make something that's elegant but i'm going to bring the action of these other movies together so no one really knew how to respond to it but they knew they liked the languing scene and they knew they liked the train scene as a kid, I was like, dude, just trying to steal that list in a room where all the senses could kill you, uh, <laughs> or just trying to get on that train. I just knew it. Just being on that train was it. Um, everything else I've grown up to really appreciate. Like, just watching watching Sarah um, follow the guy who has the list in the first heist to the place where he's stabbed. Um, there's like willow trees hanging. There's a blue soft light. There's fog everywhere. Oh, I, w- I just I want to live in it. It's so great. Yeah, I love that it. It did look great. It did look good. It looked beautiful. Like you don't get that in these movies anymore. They don't have time for that. There's a bigger, broader scale. It's trying to do. This isn't about like they. I think they don't bring that back properly until three and four. Like when Paula Pouton is trying to like seduce that guy and Tom Cruise has to like psych her up at the bar he's like no you gotta like go get that guy go get him get him up to the room you can do this like you're a James Bond go be a James Bond like that sort of stuff is great that's the team group stuff and that's going away here because 
Sarah ends up getting stabbed just with the guy. But it looks yeah. beautiful. And then that all goes away for the the whole Langley scene was like, now we're going to do Ocean's Eleven. It's, it's better than Ocean's Eleven for like a half an hour. And then the train scene comes. But three different things. We're going to do Elegant Spy. We're going to do Fun Heist. And then we're going to do a straight-up action scene. And I love it. It's so tight. This movie is so tight. It's so perfect. And I don't think they've ever been this... I don't think there's a movie around the time that was this tight again. Even for the 90s, this this movie was too good for the 90s. Um, I think. Yeah. Um, because here's the interesting... I know what good movie I'm going to be asking on the list next. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. I'm not going to go into it now because I'll go into it when we get to it. But it's called A Few Good Men. And it's Ooh, really? Thank you. Thank you. You like a few good men? I've um on T. I saw it. Of course, I saw it on TV, but it was like the last ten minutes. So, dude, I love. I love. That is my favorite lazy, lazy day movie. Like Plus, I'm sick. It's like oh god. But it's got the military, and it's. But the reason I bring up is it's Tom Cruise's last acting role. It's his last true I have a script, I have a character I'm going to speak these lines and you're going to be captivated by him. It's a courtroom drama and he murders it, he kills it everyone does. But it's his last real true acting role until Magnolia years later and even then he would just kind of stop. He hasn't really made any movies like that anymore. This is the birth of Tom Cruise the action star. This is the birth of you don't need to know anything about who this guy is you just need to know that he's good at what he does. And they really, really build on that throughout the series to the point that he's like a legend. Like the most human you ever see him is three. And then after that, it's like, oh my God, we're going to, like, I get to work with Ethan Hunt. This is crazy. So this is the birth of no longer Tom Cruise the actor. This is Tom Cruise the action star. So that to me is even more interesting because this movie is so much about plot, it doesn't give him an opportunity to be a person and be vulnerable. He can't be vulnerable to anyone, including Claire. He can't, like, give himself there. He can't trust her. She's the only element he can't predict. And that's so smart for a movie. By two, they just throw it all out the window and say he's, like, a cool hot guy who's, you know, does that. Oh, my God, dude. I can't wait till you see me, too. Oh, my God. I want to end this conversation so you can go watch two tonight. Like, I want you to go watch it. Um, it's, It's so... It's gonna be a great episode. Chris. The only oh. the only thing I'm looking forward to in two is Hans Zimmer's score, and I've heard that's not even that good. There are things you should look forward to about it, but also look forward to making fun of it. <laughs> oh man, this, that's gonna. I I anticipate a tough watch coming, or something more akin to Troll Two. No, uh, well that's the thing for a good bad movie. That's most people's spectrum. Um, no, you have to think about it in like action movie modern day I guess action movie standards oh no that's the the thing like like you have to think about movies like Paycheck with Ben Affleck you gotta think about like ah god it's so hard to explain um ah there's a lot of slow motion there's a lot of oh it's gonna be great I can't wait but in, in terms of like it's beautiful looking. Um, I think Sandy Newton is the girl he has um, he has to work against in that one, and she's great in it. But they just her care like, oh my god, the movie's so crazy. 
um, it's going to be a fun episode, man. It's just, it's a huge outlier. It, it, it's the thing that nobody wants to talk about that they loved it at the time. When it came out, everyone was like, yeah, this movie's great. Mission Impossible 2 was a fun movie. But deep down, everyone was like, that was, that was shit. And then no one talked about it for years. It was like that outfit that you wear and you never, never put it on again. No one ever talks about it and you hope the picture of it does not exist on any sort of social media. But it happened. And then three, oh my god, that's like the greatest thing about the series. Three, three is just like, oh man, three is like the guy you used to know in high school who was like puking in the back of every party and like passed out on the couch pooping himself and then like he's now your lawyer. <laughs> it's so funny to me like that's how I like I've been watching this series since day one the shift from one two and three is crazy to me the elegance of one is completely ripped away for all that train stuff and you're like god just just calm the hell down movie and then three comes and it's like oh he's my dad now okay so, um... What? Oh, <laughs> uh, then, then it gets really good. Like, the last few movies are fantastic, but, like, Tom Cruise didn't know what to do with this series, and John Woo kind of, like, messed it all up. It, but it isn't John Woo's fault. Like, John Woo was making bad movies, but the decision to leave the elegance of what this movie was to make the boombastic action of any director... That's, it's the equivalent of saying Michael Bay make Mission Impossible 2. That's what he did. He just pitched John Woo. It's like that, but that was the movie he was going for. He's like, make a bad boys kind of movie for me. I want to make that kind of movie after Mission Impossible 1. And it's such a jarring shift. Not even just for like the style of action. It's the kind of movie that Tom Cruise wanted to make. So it's, I, I hold this one up to high regard, whereas a lot, it's so meta, like, true fans of Mission Impossible hate it because they ruined the lead character made in the bad guy. True fans of Tom Cruise hate it because he's not acting anymore. Fans like me of the Mission Impossible series love it because there's nothing like it. And true fans like you who came in with, around the time that it really started to get its footing don't even know that any of this stuff happened. <laughs> <laughs> um... So I find this early stages of the series to be super cool. Um, and then when it all starts to come back, like Max's daughter, and they start to blend all the movies together, they got smart that way. Um, McGuire fixed everything. Yeah. As a writer, I really love that McGuire stepped in and fixed everything. He's like, even as an adult, he's like, we're all about cinematic universes now. Own up to being a franchise and be a franchise. Stop treating your movies like they're British... Uh, series of television one and a half an hour and a half like episode for a couple of months and now we've got a season no like your movies act like movies it's crazy so you know what let's talk about that Langley scene um actually I want to get your, I want to get a couple questions about the mole hunt never mind you, for example like how did you feel about seeing Emilio Estevez there Emilio Estevez Wait, what? Emilio Estevez is the guy who dies in the elevator. Oh, that was him? Yes! Weird. Yeah, Mighty Duck Man. 
Um, this is, this is the last big budget movie Emilio Estevez ever did until he started directing his own movies. But how did you feel about like this is the team we're going to get to know the team and then they all die, or did you already anticipate that that was going to happen because you'd seen the movie? Um, like, what was the where you were like, I don't know what's going to happen. I was kind of in the mode of um, when it first started. I'm like, okay, kind of don't know what's going to happen. And then the the imagery started flooding back into my memory. I'm like, okay, I know what's going to happen. But this is like, I saw a lot of like in this whole like the mole hunt scene in the beginning was like. It reminded me a lot of what the Mission Impossible films are today. Whereas, like, um, except it go, except it goes all wrong. Whereas the most, most of the time when they do this kind of scene, they succeed, like in the Langley scene. But this, this well, one stands out because they all fail. Doesn't it open with the successful one first, and then it cuts into them doing this one? Like, isn't one of them like one of the women are faking death, and then right, Cruz right, 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 yeah, right. You do see a successful one first. You do see a successful one first. Okay, had to remember that one. That one was pretty good. Um, I love it when oh, they I- do that. The whole fake, um, the whole, uh, the whole uh, fake setting. I don't know why, but I just love it when they yeah. do that. I love it. <laughs> Every very, very time. Captain, very Captain America. <laughs> um, let's was see. Was that that baseball game? I was at that game. <laughs> Punches the lady and jumps out the wall. Um, this is a... Hunt is different. <laughs> why yes. did we unfreeze this guy? Um. So, like... I feel like the whole Mulhunt scene was like, for me, it was different, but it was so odd because it's the first movie, mm-hmm. and they kind of fail where everyone dies, but then the movie turns it turns on its head and say, oh nope, they didn't die, and she was in on it the whole time, and that whole thing. I'm like, like, oh man. Okay, now that I think about it in hindsight, this movie was kind of ahead of its time. Not gonna lie. Um. Here's the other thing that I think is really interesting. For the people who watched the show, they wanted to get all the original team back, including the lead actor, and then kill them all and have Tom Cruise then move the movie the way it was supposed to, the way it is now. How would you feel about that? If they did, if the if the second act twist didn't happen, like imagine no, no, like imagine you have been watching a TV show for years and then it's canceled and then. Two decades later, they're like, we're going to make a movie. We're going to bring the whole cast back. We're going to bring the lead guy back. And then they all die within the first 20 minutes. And at the end of the film, they make the lead guy the bad guy. That was their, that was their like, plan for a long time. Isn't that what they did with Star Wars, except they didn't make any of the leads the bad guy? Any of the old leads? But the Star Wars people didn't die within the first 20 minutes of the film. Like, it takes a whole movie for Han Solo to die. Take a whole movie for Luke Skywalker to die. It took two movies. Ah, okay, fine. Um, Leia came back. And she's dead in real life. It's getting super confusing now. Yeah, it is, actually. (laughs) I don't know what they're (laughs) going to do. I'm confused now. (laughs) So, um... 
Dang, I lost my train of thought. You made me think about Star Wars. Dang it! <laughs> I just, I just think it's super. I just think it's super funny that they thought the fans of the TV show would have been cool with that. Because that's the thing. Like this movie was like called as Mission Impossible. This was their thing. This like we're gonna like build off this show and then we're gonna go do our own thing. But like they had a fan base, and they were gonna poop all over it. I just find that super funny because this is like totally. This franchise is all about Tom Cruise. That's all it is. It's like a showcase for him. 110%. They don't, like, try to bring groups back until 3. And even then, they don't save the people. Jeremy Renner was supposed to be the guy, and now he's, no one knows where the hell that guy that. Where's Jeremy Renner? He's gone now. So it's all about Tom. Avengers dough. I get it rain. I don't know what happened, man. He put out a single this week, and that's been make news, so I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> was it at least good? No, I did not listen to it. Oh. I just thought he's got a good uh, set of chords on him. I'm just saying he's got his fingers in a lot of blood. he's got his, he's got his hands in a lot of like dishes. He can't always be in your Mission Impossible series. No, sorry. Um, uh, <laughs> but my point is, is, it's all about Tom Cruise. So like they were going to poop on the TV show. They kind of did by making the lead character the bad guy and hiring John Voight to be in there. But you know, John Voight doesn't look bad for the '90s. But there's no way he would have a wife that young. I would have to, like, equate that to... You got me thinking about Star Wars, and I gotta, I gotta equate it back to it. So, like, if in Force Awakens, like... Got it, you're just choosing to. I am in full mode, dude. We're less than, we're less than six minutes away. <laughs> it's gonna get worse. I'm giving you shit now because it's gonna get worse. I know. Um... I, I love it, man. I'm in the ship for you. I can't wait, because this is gonna be fun to, like... I, I want to, like... I want to be the the straight man to your craziness for sure, but like I'm giving you a lot of crap now because it's gonna get worse down the road. Um, so that would be the equivalent of like in Force Awakens, Han's out in that platform, and then he takes the lightsaber from Ben only to cut Ray's hand off or something like that. Yeah, dude, it'd be so freaking dumb. It'd be really dumb. Um, no, I, I mean, like, wait, a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, if you were like, a fan of either one, like, if you were a fan of Star Wars and you just, like, watched Han Solo turn bad, that's so dumb. That's not who the guy was. Like, even right. I know I hadn't seen, I haven't seen an episode of Mission Impossible 1. There's no way on God's green earth you're going to convince me that in this movie, no matter how, like, dark and seedy and espionage you're trying to make it, that that guy ended up, like, marrying a 20-something-year-old, like, deceiving his entire company for two years, kill all of his team, and then just run off with millions. Like, screw the world, I'm going to just run off with money now and be the thing I've tried to stop for just seasons. No! No. Even I know that's dumb and you shouldn't swallow that pill. I still love this movie. I'm that is a audience. really weird paradigm. A weird paradox, yeah. Sorry. No, yeah, like, this at the time of, like, 96, where baby boomers were big, where, like, Forrest Gump is the biggest baby boomer thing ever, like, they're all about that stuff. And this movie's like, yeah, you know that show you love? Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna make a movie about it. Yeah, and then we're just gonna take all the cool things about it. Yeah, even the lead character. Yeah, he's the bad guy. What? He gets crushed by a helicopter in the train. Oh, oh my. How would I feel he about shoots, that? He shoots his wife to death. Oh my. She's half his age. Oh, well, okay. So you're telling me the plan was 
to get the entire original cast of the original show, right? Yeah. And have them all die. And then, like, Tom Cruise to take the mantle and run with it without turning the lead guy bad from the old show? Uh, like, either they were going to kill the whole cast, including the bad guy, of characters. Include, I mean, they were going to kill the whole cast of characters, including the main guy, and have Tom Cruise go on. Or they were going to have the main guy kill all the old cast, and then turn into the bad guy, and then get killed by Tom Cruise, and have Tom Cruise move on. They said, screw that, we'll just have John Boyd come in, bring a bunch of famous actors from that era, which everyone on his team is very famous. They're all, like, international stars who have gone on to do amazing things. And they were famous at that time. But they all die within 20 minutes of the movie so that Tom Cruise can go off. and It's all meant to be a shock. It's all meant to, like, put you off your rocker so that when he's put into this thing and he's got to go to Langley and he's got to go on the train that you're with him. And to be honest, I don't think that that sense is there. I do think that it's a smart enough crafted film that you are with Ethan mentally the entire time trying to make decisions with him watching it all the way up to the point that he is one step ahead of the audience. But I do think it's cheap when you realize what they were trying to do and how many ways they were trying to do it and how they really didn't care who they pissed off in their way of doing it. Uh, it all just seems really funny to me, especially this all was in 96 when no one really gave a crap about cinematic universes. James Bond had been James Bond sent like so many times and this was the year that Goldeneye would come and cha and Pierce Brosnan would come in and just change the game all over again anyway. That No one knew what the Avengers were. No one knew what like X-Men was. Batman was about to get um, George Clooney. No one knew what the hell they were doing. Man. What would that... What would that... <laughs> that, that, was, was, that seems more convoluted. That seems more convoluted than what people are complaining about. Uh, what do you mean? Like, if Tom, if the, if they brought back the entire original cast, had them all killed, Tom Cruise takes the mantle, right? Uh-huh. then they all get killed by the bad guy, and then Tom Cruise takes the mantle, he kills the bad guy. Ugh. No. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't seem interesting. That doesn't seem very interesting. I mean, if I like, oh man. It would be like watching CSI for years, or Criminal Minds for years, and then, like, M Mark Harmon killed his entire team and then staged a murder. And then at the very end, uh, I don't know, like, Taylor Kitsch comes in and he's like, man, you're bad, and he just cites a whole series of movies where he's the new CIS guy. Yeah, Taylor Kitsch? Why? Um... Because he's not... I, I don't know. It would just be like, at that time... Like ten years later, that's what the, them trying to do. That would probably be it. Like that would be like right when he was trying to be a film star, and it didn't work because it did not work for him. Hmm. But yeah, like, like no one wants Taylor Kish around. It sucks. I feel bad for him. Let's see. Um, I guess that would be like that. Sounds more like the safe version of what the Last Jedi could have been because like you can imagine like okay Luke goes with Rey confronts Kylo Ren be, get, goes all or does this epic force fight with um Snoke 
and stuff happens and then they go into the next movie with little to no consequence like huh it, it's it's more along the lines that they had recasted um, Luke Skywalker with somebody else who kind of looked like Mark yes, Hamill and then had to the bad guy of your new movie they did that. Starring they did that in the old in the old canon. They did that. Not not in canon. That's the thing. Yeah, That's the thing. I know. Do you want to consider this movie? Like, if I wanted to, I could go and watch all of Mission Impossible, every single episode of Mission Impossible, even the movies they did later in the seventies, and I would then choose to watch this, and this would be the continuation of that TV show. That boggles my mind. That if I wanted to. I could make this film series canon with that show, and, like, in some ways it works, and in other ways it's all about Tom Cruise. It's crazy. Like, the fact that there's, that that exists is so weird to me. Yeah. It's weird. And, uh, seems like the safe idea. Can we talk about the Langley scene now? <laughs> okay. So, yes. This was so good. <laughs> this was so good. Oh, man. Just, it's like... Le a lesson from the screenplay, I think, did a video on it. And to see the whole scene play out, just on its own, it's... Uh. It's so well-designed. Because, like, everything is, like... So, like... <laughs> The guy, um, the guy who's supposed to, like, the engineer who works in there, right? Um, yeah. they put, like, some kind what? of, uh, like, epic, like, epitaph. Like, in uh, that Family Guy, uh, Clam Chowder, uh, clip. And so, in his coffee. And, <laughs> and so he just goes, <laughs> who wants chowder? <laughs> I, think, I think we're done now. I think it's done. I think it's over now. <laughs> <laughs> and so, <laughs> they put that in his coffee. And so now that's the thing that is going to keep him from getting into the room. Um, not a bunch of, like, silly circumstances, even though that is kind of silly in and of itself. It's just silly to look at. Where it's just like, yeah. oh, he's coming back. Nope, he's going back into the bathroom. <laughs> um... And then, like, everything's going so well, like, the puke potion's working. I think I'll always be that guy. Yeah. The puke, po the puke potion's working, and so then, um, the guy holding Ethan Hunt is, uh, like, he's struggling. He's starting, to, he's starting to struggle a little bit as he's lowering him down. Like, everything's going off the last thing you'd expect. In CIA headquarters, a mouse is in the vent. And <laughs> that <laughs> was the point where I'm like, sold, done, a rat. That's all I needed. A rat throws him off. He's just like, I can't deal with this, man. I can't deal with this. I can't deal with this. I'm... <laughs> if I could just quickly snap, if I could quickly snap its neck, I could get, I could catch him in time before he hits the floor. So yeah, let's go. Snaps its neck, brings it back, and then the iconic shot of him falling nearly mere inches away from the floor. If he touches the ground, if anything touches the ground while it's in lockdown, the system goes off. 
and just mere inches, and then the struggle on Tom Cruise's, <laughs> the struggle is real, where he's just like, Ugh! he's hovering like three inches above the ground. <laughs> sweat dripping off his glasses. Just sweat dripping off his glasses, and just, oh man. And then, at the end, where he gets the, he gets the stuff, and, uh, but um, he he gets what, the, he, he gets the knock list, the list of agents. He gets it, and he, he pulls him up. But the, instead of off of a uh, a pulley system, a small little pulley system, he's dragging the 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 cable across the vent, and that's creating noise. And if it reaches a certain decibel level, the system will go off. So this noise is creating a lot of no this this um the cable's creating a lot of noise against the vent. And then the guy comes back into the room, and then they 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 uh they got it. They made it quiet, and then it's like, huh? It's like, you know how like there's like a nice little there normally be a, like a nice little like beat before yeah. the thing falls apart. Immediately, uh, as yeah. soon as he gets his head in the vent, the dude drops the knife. It falls. Right as the guy is about to open the door and deactivate the system, falls on the desk and creates a loud noise. Right after the the system's deactivated. Oh, so good. So I, I that's all. I, I kind of have a question for you. When, okay. Did did you remember that John Renault was a bad guy? So you just kind of thought there was something fishy about him, or did you always remember him being the bad guy? I did not remember him being the bad guy. I did not remember him, uh... I did not remember him being the bad guy. I did not. Um... Wait. Oh, John... Oh, that's his name. Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot his name. I was blanking out. I remember... I remember him from Godzilla. Um, Roland Emmerich's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. I'm very well cultured. Um... Uh, um... So, yeah, because my question is... What is he doing pulling out? Did you think he was going to try and steal the knuckles from him in that moment? What was he doing with the knife in his hand? Um. Okay, that's a nitpick. Okay, I can see where I can see where you're coming it's from. A, it's not a nitpick. It's a character decision. Like, it, the whole point of him dropping the knife is thrilling. I don't care about that stuff. It's just like, if, you, if he is a bad person, and the whole moment is just to be like, here's this crappy person, don't trust him, you can't trust him, and he's shifty. That's fine, but like we get to now use that moment to sort of get into the idea of his head later. Like, what did, what was oh. he doing? With the, is it like a cut scene or something? Like, what was he doing with the knife in his hand? Was he going to take it from him in that moment? Okay, I, I don't know. What was his thinking? Here's the here's the okay. Here's what I'm gonna here, okay. I'm gonna use a wrestling term. Here's the kayfabe answer. He was using the knife to kill the rat. Mm. Yeah, maybe. But we don't see him. We just see him reaching out with his hands to snap his neck. We don't see him actually using the knife. Yep. So, hmm. So I guess he was gonna. I guess he was using the knife maybe to finish off the. Ra I don't know. Or ply the. Yeah, it's like a fine beat. 
like with the knife and everything, I've never been able to figure out, like, what was his thinking? Like, was he going to try and take the knife from him? Or was he going to try and take the list from him in that moment and leave his dead body there? And then be like, oh, man, he broke his neck after he got the list coming out of the vent. And I'm going to take the list from him now. Because him and Claire are in cahoots. Him and Claire are in cahoots. The only one who would, the only two who are, are Luther and him. If he can kill him and then kill Luther on the way, maybe they think they can just take the list right then. Also, the knife in itself is brilliant. Because it's the same knife that killed, um, what's her face? Um, in the alley where she was going for the list. Um,. But yeah, it's, um, that was, like, I just like how there was the callback to the knife at the end, and, oh man, that was such a good move. Now that I think about it, it was really, it was, oh man, I really like that. I like how, I like how, I like how when stuff gets called back, it's like, he was going to use the knife to kill the, uh, that security guard before Ethan stopped him and said zero body count. Um, oh yeah, no, yeah. It was at that point I'm just I'm like, oh, we saw the knife and he recognized it because he held it in his hand because he pulled it out of the. Oh man, that's, that's, that's when you I take a breath really and say, "Wow." This movie, that's this movie is tight as a drum for stuff like that. You can go back and see the the entire old. Um, not the tire old, but like there's a second IMF team watching them during the mole hunt thing, and you can see them there. They're staring at them. You can watch them and you notice them, and they don't bring it up until later when Ethan is like at the restaurant. He's like, "What was the team there? They're here right now. If you're smart enough, you can catch them." When he goes to the aquarium restaurant, this movie does its homework and it it's crafted like that stuff is there. So what was he doing in the night? What was he doing with the night? Like. Was he going to kill Ethan right there and he just missed know. his chance? And here's the important thing answer. that I'm asking by is because Ethan may have sensed this right off the bat when either he saw the knife that he was going to kill the guy with or when he saw the knife in the vent because he immediately, when they get back, knows that he needs to pull a magic trick <laughs> and like, make two discs and like make one disappear. Like, he, did, he knew right off the bat not to trust him. So either we see that moment in the film when he looks at the knife or he did that off screen. I don't know which, but I find it super interesting. Yeah, it's a yeah. This movie does does this movie does do the work. Is I love I love it when movies do that. I even liked it when they did it in the no, they didn't do it in the first Transformers. I'm sorry. I just like it when movies do that. They do when it does the work and like it calls back. I would have screwed. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. I think McGuire is doing that with these films um, I think McGuire is doing that as a director in general but he doesn't have the craft or the speed that De Palma does De Palma is not only someone who'd been in the business that long and just been working with thrillers that long he just is that good and this is the last breath of somebody who is that good do I think that McGuire is making really good like visual movie the opera scene alone is great but it's not at the speed of the thrills of this to go from like the drop of the sweat to the drop of the knife to uh, this uh, like it's so good. There's so much going on in just this ha- this 40 minutes of this movie, and then we never go back to it again. Never talk about it again. 
never like it's the centerpiece of this entire movie and it's crafted within an inch of its life it's amazing yeah um god the Langley scene was so good that's that's my jam right there is the Langley scene um when it comes to Mission Impossible um just the train the train always the train for days the train I'm sorry like when I was watching this movie as a kid I was like okay you know the Prague looks really cool but I'm confused as all hell oh my god all his friends are dead then I watched the Langley scene and I'm like all these thrills are really thrilling I just know he needs to get this thing and get out of this room but on the train I was like that's when my jaw was dropped as a kid I was like in the theaters watching that and I was like ah movie. like oh god <laughs> train, train scene for days um, talking about him almost hitting the floor, and yeah, it is Tom Cruise. Like he almost cracked his skull hitting the floor. That was him almost doing it. But everything came together to make the train scene. Like a visual effects, he got on a windy train. Like they had to get everything together. All the elements of what makes movies great make that scene amazing. And as a kid, I was like, why are people talking about Langley? We should be talking about that train. But then movies became nothing but the train, and I was like. Shit. What makes the train so good is the build-up. You get you watch old-fashioned spy people get blown away through old-fashioned methods of getting shot and blown up by cars and stabbed. Then you and see the language scene, and you see the, like the trickery, the trickery of editing, and like the the fun of chills and stuff, and it's very Hitchcockian. But then the train happens, and it's like an escalation of filmmaking in general. Now we have CGI. Now he's on a train. Now the wind is going. Now there's explosions. Now he's jumped. Now there's a train in the tunnel. Who would have ever put a train, in, a, a helicopter in a train in the tunnel? That's just crazy. And I, I think that that's the point of the movie. It's escalating to this moment, and I think it succeeds in that. All the other movies are like, we're at this moment. We're, we're, we're accelerated to this moment. Like, doesn't one of the Mission Impossible movies just start with him getting attached to a plane and it taking off? Yeah. <laughs> it does. It was Rogue Nation. There are no other Mission Impossible movies like this one. I'm telling you, man. This is... It's not just my personal favorite, just like, they don't make movies like this anymore. Um... So... Like, the train scene... Where he... Where, uh, Luther makes everybody's phone ring. Um... <laughs> And in turn, takes the jammer away. Oh boy! Uh, to get the to keep the list from getting uploaded. But like that whole scene in the, in the um, baggage, uh, the baggage carriage, where it's like yeah. it was set up by the scene with the second act twist where um, John Voight's alive, and like he pictures it all in his mind of how it went down, but he's keeping it together. Um, well, he he's the only, he is not sure about his Claire. In the visuals, you can see he's pretty pretty sure that his old mentor did this. Yeah, he just he is not sure about Claire. It's all really hard because it's all visual and it's all really like edited weird, but it holds up. It's all trying to get to that one point that he he doesn't know about her, but he's sure about it. this. Should be the end of the movie, but he can't let it be yet. Right. Um. But like that whole carriage, that whole uh, baggage carriage scene, where it's like, where I'm like, I kn- like I know he's in a mask. 
I know, I've seen this. Pulls the mask back and it's like, uh, that's so satisfying. That's so satisfying. I just, I just love it when that happens. Like, it, it's like he knew, he knew all along. And then John Voight comes out of the shadows, all dressed in tactical gear. He's like, he's being all villainy and all that. It's really, I agree with you, like, the mask thing you should remember. But did you remember the glasses? Yes. Yes, I do remember the glasses. I did not. I was like, oh my god, the glasses! <laughs> like, you should remember the mask, because the mask is, like, a really cool thing. Like, of course he's wearing a mask. Look at his face. I know. But I completely forgot about the glasses. Yeah, that was really good. Um, and then there was the... Oh, yeah, the train scene. And... It's just like... The moment he, like, I do, there are just things about, like, the whole baggage carriage thing, like, the sound is really off. I think the French, I just think the way that they use her really sucks. I just think it's weird that they thought that John Voight would, like, I don't know. Just the, the whole thing about John Voight's character, you can't explain a lot about who he is without really getting into the show. And if they just used somebody else's name or a different name, you could have explained a lot more. Like, he was having a midlife crisis, so of course he, like, fell in line with this 20-something-year-old spy. Like, it just seems all weird about him in general. So the whole baggage claim, I'm just like, okay, he's the bad guy. I get it. I never trusted her. I never trusted her. Yeah. I could, yeah. She... As soon as I but knew... Yeah. As soon as she came back after he was um, trying to figure out what was going what was going on after he escaped from the aquarium, um, I found like, that fishy. Yeah, that. it's fishy. Yeah, that she also made it out alive. Like, ah, oh, God, wow. Yeah, this movie's pretty good. Um, but yeah, the, like, all of that goes down, and he's like, now I gotta chase this guy on a train. Whatever. And so we're like, oh, we've seen people get on trains before, whatever. And then he gets on the train, and like, no, Tom Cruise is on a train. A speeding train. They cut all the music from the movie, and they just focus on the fact that he's gotta, like, take off his jacket and his tie, and that's how, you know, John Boyd sees him. And then he's like, screw it, now I'm in, now I gotta do this. Now I gotta chase this guy down, and my, I have to do this. And the movie's like, you gotta do this. It doesn't, the music doesn't kick in until the helicopter shows up. And even then, like, you don't think it's gonna go in the tunnel, but it does. Also, can we talk about the bubblegum bomb? Yes! (laughs) Bubblegum, bubblegum bomb for days. So he throws... So in the beginning, he throw, he uh, is told like. Never made that sound before, Chris. And if you've been recording this, yes, ooh, wait. I have been. Oh. So shoot, I squeed. All right, I'll face up to it. Squeed <laughs> for a bubblegum bomb. I squeed for Emilio Estevez's bubblegum bomb. So he. That go so Ethan's told, down. okay, if you ever need something, like if everything's if something's too tough to crack, like bubblegum bomb. Mm-hmm. Yeah. light, green light. Don't. Mesh them together, you have five seconds. Don't chew. He does it in the aquarium. And then Charlie. he brings it back in the end. Red light! Green light! Crunch. Sticks it to the, <laughs> sticks it to the helicopter. Boom. They all die horrifically. 
Ah, oh, so satisfying when he jumps from the helicopter and the explosion helps him onto the train. Yeah. That's so... I was, as a kid, I was like, that's, a, that's how you should respond to explosions. I loved it. Here's the thing. Here's another thing about it. Like, they're outside the, the tunnel, right? And so... Yeah. Then Ethan gets the upper hand and he attaches the helicopter to the train. It can't move. Yep. And so then um, Jean, Jean Renault, he's like, okay, I have two options. It's like, I have only, there's only one way to, there's only one way to avoid this. He does yeah, a bold move and he, and he, um, he um, lowers his altitude and goes into the tunnel with them. I'm like, what? I thought he was gonna blow. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Oh man, I'm just like, oh, bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see where this goes. I just love how this movie twists and turns. I love it. Oh man. A couple things. Like a, when he does the bubblegum trick in the restaurant, right before he does it, he takes his hand. And I've never noticed this before. But he takes his hands and he runs it through his hair, so now his hairs, like his hands, are immediately covered in sweat. So then he puts his hand in his pocket, and it's already wet when he uses, like, he does hit water when he hits it to the glass, sure. But like, no, he already made his hands wet with the sweat. Like, he knew what he was doing. And then later, when he's trying to get the two guys to join him on the Langley mission. The French guys like I can fly a helicopter into the Louvre and take the Mona Lisa right now, and it's like ah, oh, you know helicopters. <laughs> you talked about flying into things you shouldn't put helicopters in, and then he puts it in a tunnel. Just, like, yeah, that that whole moment was just like, okay, that changes things. How's he gonna beat him now? <laughs> he's on the he's like he's like on the side. At that point, he's like he's on he's like on the side, and he's hanging out for dear life, and uh, yeah. John Voight's in position to get out. And uh, yeah, it was so. God, it was so good. Now that I remember, now that now that I remember, yeah, it's 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 really good. Man, wow! My favorite. <laughs> there are other there are other great moments in the series and more thrilling and there are other there are other movies that are like wrapped around the Langley centerpiece but I don't think any of them have this thrilling of an end uh, this this way this, like this thrilling of a way to dispose of your villain I don't think uh, any of them have that really. I don't know dude for me personally I really like how Fallout ended I really oh, like how Fallout ended I mean, he... Fallout <laughs> is pretty spectacular, I'll be honest, but it took that many movies to get to that point. Like, you have the car... You have the car thing where the guy just sort of, like, jumps to his own death. I don't want to talk about the next movie, which I think is pretty lackluster. Yes, I mean, I think it's hilarious that the guy gets run over by a car in three, but, like, that's not how cars work. Like, Tom Cruise should have been taken, too. Like, it's just the way it is. Um... Yeah, I don't remember how four goes. How does four go? Oh, um, he. No, four is when he, he jumps baby off. driver style. I'm sorry. Doesn't he go out like the same way John Hamm went out in baby in Baby Driver, kind of? He kills himself. He doesn't. He doesn't want Tom Cruise to get the bomb that's going to go off, and he believes he like he's a he believes in a message more than he wanted money. 
so to stop Tom Cruise from getting the bomb to like go off and like create whatever he wanted to do ideologically wise, he holds the suitcase and he jumps off floors and floors to his own death. And Tom Cruise is stuck like 25 feet or like 25 floors up in the air and he's like, I can't, how am I going to do this now? So he gets in a car and he drives a car down and then he lands the car uh, on its face and like has a car accident to the briefcase to stop the bomb. We got... I'm, I can't wait to see Quark, because I need to see how that worked again. <laughs> okay, that it's weird. I'm like, what? It happened. Um, so let's see, this one, he the helicopter crashed. I can't talk about the second one. Third one, Philip Seymour Hoffman gets hit by a truck. Um, above, it, yeah, it just happened so fast. I'm not a fan of it. Um, four is when he jumps to his doom. Five, they capture the guy for him to die unceremoniously in the next one. But that was the whole point. And, no, he's still, is he still alive? Because he, yes, he's alive because he needs to be a prisoner. He was, he was correctly sent as a prisoner to the country he needed to go to. And then Mustachio Man, uh, Superman shows up, and they dispatch of him the way they do. And then, yeah, his his death is pretty great, but it took a long time to get there. Mustachioed Superman. <laughs> I love Henry Cavill. I, I feel so bad. I feel bad for everyone that Zack Snyder just took a massive shit on. <laughs> oh, God, I can't wait for the DCU. It's going to be cathartic, man. I can't wait. <laughs> I'm you dread it, yet you want it. <laughs> dread, I dread watching them, and I dread picking apart work, like hours of people's work. That's that sucks. But at the end of the day, like, why did you pick this guy? Why did you make these things? Why did you spend so much money on him? And why did you expect us to give you money for it? I'm. It's just shocking. I find it entertaining, but also like some of them are just ridiculous. This. Like when it gets to two, I, I don't know. Like I uh, to explain how he goes out, I, I'm pretty sure slow motion. No, you know what? It's the stupidest way. Two is the stupidest way any villain has ever gone out. Dude, I think let me see it. God, let me see it. I'm just telling you, it's really dumb. I mean, it's supposed to. It's dumb because it's supposed to be cool, and it's not. It's just dumb. Listen to me, as of right now. You can't beat Kevin Sorbo and God's Not Dead. That was the dumbest way a villain has ever went out. Ever. I forgot. How did he like didn't he get cancer? No. He got hit by he got hit by an SUV right as about right as he was trying to Like he was on it so and, uh, God's Not Dead is the worst movie ever made. Um so other sequels though? Yeah, they made like two or three more. It, they all suck. Um and go out there doesn't, I guess, I mean, yeah, that's fine. They dispatch of him in some sort of a way. Yeah, yeah here's the thing, here's the thing. So, like, the whole movie, he's like a dick professor, right? Yeah. And, like, it's, like, illegal what he's doing. And, like, he's getting away with it because he's the villain, right? So, and, um, so, apparently there's, like, some past trauma where, like, his mom died of cancer, and he blames God for it, and he's, like... There was like it's kind of like a you know how like Star Lord never opened that box in Guardians of the Galaxy because it was from his mom. He didn't want that pain to come back. Like imagine that, but like 
so it's kind of like that, where he reads a note from his mom, and it's all like, oh, you shouldn't be like this because I'm dying or anything like that. So then, and then, because his girlfriend's a Christian. So then, um, oh God, there was a, oh Jesus, that movie sucked. So um, then after that. It's the worst kind of atheist, and I say this in the way that like any movie, any just kind of lazy movie will use any sort of religion or any sort of idea as shapeshifty for a person. Like, uh, the, the reason he's evil is that he's, like, it's the way he expresses his beliefs, not necessarily his beliefs, but the worst thing about him, I think, is just how shaky his beliefs are in the first place. But, yeah, like, he is the kind of atheist who, because something bad happened to him when he was Christian, he just sort of uses it as a way to project that onto everybody else, and then he gets hit by a truck. Yeah, he gets hit by a truck. Here's the thing. So, yeah, like, he was about to make that. that turn. He was going to the Staples Center to get into a Newsboys con- concert to go talk to his girlfriend and try to make amends, maybe. And then the way they tried to redeem him is hit him with a truck. And he was, yeah, he, he was his dying so breath to make him repent. Oh, my God. I hate this movie. I hate God's Not Dead. I'm not putting it on the wheel. I'm not putting it on the wheel ever. I'm not doing that. Oh, God. No. I think you can probably make fun of that as a crappy movie. It's no. just not a, It's not even just a crappy faith-based movie. It's a crappy movie, dude. Like, I'm not here to make fun of faith. <laughs> there are some just stupid <laughs> representation things. Like, he's not even just an atheist. It's, he's a bad atheist. He's not even a bad atheist. He's just a bad, stupid character. It's great. Oh, I'm going to go pick things with my girlfriend and say, you hit him with a truck like this is... A Robert Pattinson movie? What are you doing? Remember me. Remember me. Okay, now, um, back to Willow. Um, God, don't make me remember. Back to Willow. Back to Willow. Back to Willow. Um, A minus. Really? Yeah. A minus. I was dancing around B plus, but I'm like, no, Langley in the train scene, uh, that. Like that's too good to not give it at least an A, at least an A minus. Uh, here's the thing: this movie is basically set piece. Of the movie, it's great. Like you don't need to know anything about the characters; you just have to enjoy the set pieces. Everything is mechanical that way, but it's meant to entertain you in the way that a Ridley Scott movie isn't. Like Ridley Scott will just make a mechanical movie and be like, "Here you go," and if nobody buys it, he's like, "It's because the audience sucks." No, this, this is, like, crafted to a T in a way that he's like, I'm going to make you enjoy yourself, but you don't need to know a gosh darn thing about any of these people. So I think there are problems here. But for a movie that's, all, like, almost two hours long, it's, it's crafted with an inch of its life. It's unbelievable how everything is meant for you to be entertained by what you're looking at or um, thinking about one way or another. I... But yeah, I wish it does kind of it does kind of crap on its lead character, of, uh, or a previous lead character before kind of just craps all over that fan base. But and kind of lead Tom Cruise down a path that I don't think necessarily was the best thing for him. I would have loved to see more of you good men's, and you're gonna know what that feels like when we watch it. But I, I'm struggling between A and A minus because it's. 
I, I guess other movies in the series are A's, but I, I feel like this always needs to be in the discussion when you're talking about Mission Impossible movies, and people don't anymore. It's like, it's so good. But yeah, I gotta say for its lack of character, and the and like there are some forgettable things about it at the end of the day. You walk away from it going, I had a good time, and I wish you could walk away from it going, I had a good time with those characters. So I'm gonna say A-, minus. yeah. Yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll change that over time, but I'm I'm gonna go with a my a, a like I'm gonna go with a shaky a minus for now because as we keep going and it's not like two's gonna do it. I want to put more focus on three, <laughs> more focus on uh, five because four. I, I last time I watched four, I'm like, no, that's a pretty that's a pretty damn good movie, and I think that's what a lot of people hold up as the highest standard. And I, I it is really really good. So I'm gonna kind of like pull my attention there more and like put the put this up to them for a while. But we have two movies to even get to that argument. So yeah. So oh, I don't want to poop on three. Three is like the one you entered in with, but like it's the one. It's the one I remember the least. Two is memorable because it's memorable. Um, but three is like forgettable for some reason for me. I just can't it, like that plot. It's always on the tip of my tongue, and I just can't remember why. Maybe it's Billy Crudup, maybe it's Lawrence Fishburne, maybe it's the fact that you bring all these people in and then just kind of, like, get rid of all of them in the next movie, which is even better than that one. So you're supposed to forget about them, and it sucks. Like, Carrie Russell is great in that movie, but she's gone in 20 minutes. And maybe that's the point of the series, because we see that a lot. The first 20 minutes, they introduce somebody, and then they're gone. They're supposed to undercut some idea, like you see Jack from Lost, and you're like, oh my god, it's Jack from Lost, and then he's gone in like two minutes, and you're like, oh. So, oh, there's more of And talking about two, like, I heard, um, like... I've actually, I've actually pressed the button to start up two right now. <laughs> I want to see a little bit of two, like, just right now. I'm going to watch it more than once, I know that for sure. I heard, like, John Woo was like, petrified that Tom Cruise was, like, gonna die at some point. He was gonna be, like... Like, like that's how his career in America would end. Was He was the director of the movie that killed Tom Cruise. He's not gonna be the first, but he might have been the first. Yeah, but, like... I'm sorry, like, yeah, he's not... He's not the last, but he's probably the first. Like, because that's... I can't think of any other movie before that where Tom Cruise does, did something where they were like, okay, okay, we'll film that, but if you, you know, you screw up, you're dead. Cool. Like I, know there's, like, I know there's one scene where, like, a knife is held, like, like less than an inch from his eye, and that's, like, a real knife, and that's real pressure yeah. being applied there. I'm like, yeah. he lives on the edge. He, at least at that point, what is this, year 2000? He lived on the yeah. edge. I feel like he wants to die a little bit. He's yeah. got to. Um, like, you look at this series, man, he's got to want to do it a little bit. I'm sorry, like, he's literally, he's gathering money with a bunch of uh, accountants and his producing partner just to funnel it towards one goal of filming something that may or may not kill him. And he's not the first person to do it, 
but the most famous person to do it since him didn't have a great last half of his life. Like, Buster Keaton is amazing. He did amazing things. You should see The General. Everyone should see The General once a year. The General's amazing. Mad Max would not exist if not for The General. Um, But Buster Keaton died a forgotten star in Hollywood, an alcoholic with several problems with his body, and it hurt for him to walk the last couple years. Like, it just was awful for him. Uh, And he gave it all on film, and no one really watches his movies anymore. Um, I think there's an earnest nature in him because it's not just like like there's one stunt in his movies. It's a several bunch of stunts. So maybe there was, like, he just threw his body out there and didn't care if he died. I think Tom Cruise wants to die, and I think he wants it to be filmed in a movie. But he wants to die on camera. I think he's just pushing that more and more and more. And it's crazy. Like, I love it. But you used to be an actor. Yeah. Yeah. I love A Few Good Men. I love Born on the Fourth of July. I love Cocktail. I love... I love so many... Like, Lions for Lambs is not a bad performance. I, I love Tropic Thunder. I just... Come on, man. Like, what's going on? I love Fallout. Don't get me wrong. But he's throwing tons of money at pushing that limit. And it's crazy. It's like, you... You could be making normal Mission Impossible movies like the first one. Where you're just as thoroughly entertained. Just, you know, make a character. But you don't. You are making Bond films where you, as Bond, are going to die on camera like Samuel Jackson and The Rock and the other guys. Aim for the bushes. Yeah, so... Alright, well then... Oh, dang, what's that? That's weird. Um, I'm excited. I love this series. I really do. But, like... Yeah, dude, he does some crazy stuff. I... The knife thing is really crazy. Um, and then he, yeah, he scales a mountain without any wires and stuff in this. But the movie, uh, I don't really know if there's any really other like ones that stand out in it. I think the bigger ones are in the other movie. But you'll know what's bad about 2 when you see it. And you'll know what's good about 2 when you see it. Man, I really hope I'm not disappointed by Hans Zimmer's score. Anyway, so, <clears throat> alright, so next time. I'll be right now and let you know. <laughs> Alright, so next time, Mission Impossible 2, um, directed by John Woo, starring Tom Cruise. Face Off. Face Off. Did you know they swap faces? They swap faces all the time in Mission Impossible, I swear to God. That's probably why they hired him. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we just we, there's this movie where they all they do is swap faces. What's it called? Mission Impossible 2. Oh my gosh! Um, I don't want to talk about it. There's space swapping in that movie, and I don't want to spoil nothing. Space swapping in all these movies, but like, ah, uh, there's, oh, uh, it's gonna be a whole episode, man. You know nothing about it. It's so funny to me. It's like, it's, uh it's so crazy. It's just a crazy, crazy movie. No one talks about it as much anymore. It is a piece of crap, but it's. Very interesting how much passion went behind that movie. Alright, so next time, Mission Impossible 2. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Say goodbye, Alex. Bye!
Rest in peace, Jesse.